Well, what's up, Porch? How are we doing tonight? Hey, it's, uh, it's good to see you. Uh, my name is Timothy Atik. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Watermark on Sundays, as well as Tuesday nights. If this is your first time here ever or your last time here ever, I'm so glad that you made it. Thank you for joining us. I know that we've got people watching all over the nation right now, so just want to say hello to Porch Live Boise, Porch Live Indianapolis, Porch Live Cincinnati. So glad that you guys are tracking with us tonight. So I have a goal in life, and my goal is to be the goat. Yeah. Not just of life in general. I want to be the goat, the greatest of all time, in the 42-year-old age bracket of tennis in Richardson, Texas. Like, that's... I don't feel like that's, that's too much to ask. That's just my goal. I, I love tennis. My journey with tennis is that I played when I was a kid, and then I stepped away from it for over three decades, and then I read a biography by Andre Agassi, a famous tennis player from a long time ago, and then I decided at the age of 40, I'm going to become the GOAT. It was at the 40-year-old age bracket, and since that didn't happen at 40 or 41, we're on to 42 now, and the goal is to be the GOAT. 42-year-old age bracket of tennis in Richardson, Texas. The only problem, thank you, y'all are applauding too much tonight. It's getting to the point where it's like, let's just stop. But anyway, the, the problem, the only problem with me becoming the GOAT, and you're like, uh, pink grip. Yes, pink grip. It's intimidation. Anyway, um... The, the, the only problem, the only roadblock to me becoming the, the goat is that I can't hit a forehand. That is the only thing standing in my way because when I was in sixth grade, I still remember where I was at PE when I lost all hand-eye coordination. That's why I became a runner because I didn't have to use my hands. I just had to put one foot in front of the other as fast as possible. I can't, I really struggle to hit a forehand. For some reason, when I come through, my right hand freaks out and literally, like I'll come through and it will do that. It, it will literally come through to where when I make contact with the ball, it'll either hit it there or somehow it'll hit it there or there, if you're not into tennis, where your racket is facing is usually where the ball goes. So when it's pointed that way, you can imagine where it, it goes. It's been very problematic on my journey to becoming the GOAT. That's why I began to spend time with a guy named John. John was a professional tennis player, and now he teaches tennis for a living. He's the director of a tennis club here in Dallas, and so I began to spend time with John, and it was amazing because in just one time with John, I showed him what he was doing, what I was doing, and he was like, okay, here's the deal. Like, he walked over to me, he grabbed my arm, he was like, stop doing that, start doing this, do this, change that, and in a matter of 15 minutes, I could hit a forehand, and I was like, praise God. That... That's all I wanted to share with you guys tonight. I'm going to pray and then we'll get out of here. But uh, here's the reality. 
The, the reason I tell you that is because for many of us, that, that's our experience with prayer. We're in a series right now that we are calling prayer, how to talk to and hear from God. And the reality is, is for many of you, your prayer life is kind of like my tennis life prior to John. It just feels awkward. You, you don't really know what you're doing. You don't know how to do it. You feel like you're doing it wrong, so you just don't do it. And so what I want to do tonight is I kind of want to be John in your life where I want to just come beside you and say, hey, don't do this. Start doing this. In, in just in no time at all, you can go from not doing it to doing it and actually enjoying it. So if you're here tonight and you don't pray at all, you're not a Christian. You got tricked into being here tonight. Like my hope is just that you would start praying. And if you pray occasionally, my hope is that you might begin to pray regularly. And if you pray regularly, my hope is that you might begin to pray constantly. That you might begin to take new ground and you might actually listen, begin to, you might begin to tap into the joy of prayer. So question for you, if we were to sit down and coffee and I were to say, hey, what's one word that describes your prayer life? Do you think that the one word you would choose of all the words in the English language, do you think that you would choose the word enjoyable? What if that could be true? What if you would say prayer is actually enjoyable? When I pray, I connect with the living God the creator of the universe. That is possible for you tonight. So here's what I want to do. Tonight is going to be very practical. I just want to answer two questions tonight. The first question is, why should you pray? Why should you pray? And if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I'm so glad that you made it. And I am so excited to answer for you, especially the question of why you should even pray. But then I also want to answer the question, how should you pray? Like, I want to just get very practical, and I'm going to end up giving you seven different ways that you can go out and pray and hopefully begin to gain some traction in enjoying praying with God. So I want to answer the question first, why should you pray? Why should you pray? Two reasons. One, Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ... And Jesus prayed, if you're going to follow Jesus as a follower of Jesus, that kind of makes sense. If you're going to call yourself a follower, then you should probably follow. If Jesus prayed, we should pray. The second reason is that prayer is how we get more of God. Prayer is how we get more of God. So let's just unpack that. Why should you pray first? Jesus prayed. And if you're if you consider yourself a Christian, it's just good for us to understand what the goal of the Christian life is. The goal of the Christian life is to look more and more like Jesus every single day. Like a guy named Dallas Willard, he, he defined discipleship, which is just a big word for the process of following Jesus or being a Christian. Here's what he said discipleship is. He said discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. That's just saying that if you consider yourself a Christian, then the goal of your life is to become who Jesus would be if he were you. Jesus prayed. So if you're going to follow Jesus, then 
If Jesus prayed, then we should pray as well. As I was preparing for this message, I just walked through the book of Luke. And I, I really had not grasped this until preparing for this message. But as I walked through the book of Luke and I just began to notice all of the different times that Jesus prayed, you know what I was blown away by? And I understood this really from talking to a friend who had done the same kind of research. Here's what I realized. Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, God in the flesh, he prayed before, during, and after, or after anything significant that happened in his ministry. God in the flesh prayed before, during, or after anything significant that happened. Let me just walk you through some of it. And if you have a Bible and you want to turn to the book of Luke, you can track along with me. It starts, you know, Jesus' ministry really started around the age of 30. This is before his ministry even started, at his baptism. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus Christ got baptized. And it says this, now when all the people were baptized, and Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with, with you I am well pleased. So just imagine, at his baptism, before his ministry even starts, Jesus is praying. And what happens as he's praying? The Spirit of God descends on him like a dove. And God the Father speaks audibly from heaven, declaring his delight and his pleasure in Jesus Christ. And then Jesus starts his ministry and Jesus gets in a rhythm. Do you know what that rhythm is? He heals a bunch of people, and then he withdraws to pray. You see this at various points in the Gospels. He heals, spends the whole day healing, and then he withdraws to pray. And then I think about when he is making a big decision, which is he is choosing his 12 disciples, the people he will spend every day with for three years. And before he makes a big decision, listen to what it says in Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. It says, in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night, he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. What do you do when you need to make a big decision? Some of you are here tonight and you're like, yeah, I'm in the middle of needing to make a big decision. You're, you're trying to figure out if the person you're dating is the person that you are going to marry. And it's kind of reached that point in the relationship where it's either gonna end in marriage or it's just gonna end. And so you're trying to figure that out right now. Or you're trying to figure out if the job that you're in is the job you want to stay in. Some of you right now are trying to figure out if you're going to move away from Dallas. Some of you guys are dealing with debt and you're trying to figure out what you need to do with your finances. Others of you are trying to figure out if you're going to go back to school and get your MBA. Some of you are dealing with tough stuff in your family and you're just trying to navigate significant things in your family or, or maybe you've been running with the wrong people and you're just trying to make a hard decision. It, are these the people that I need to be spending my 20s with? So how do you navigate hard decisions? Maybe you make a pros and cons list. 
Maybe you talk to some of your trusted friends. Some of you are hitting up chat GPT. You're like, I don't know. What do you think, AI? (laughs) What did Jesus do? The God of the universe spent all night praying. Have you ever considered that? Like you literally, you're like, I guess, I guess I'm just going to pray all night. That's the best thing I could do to make a decision. That's what Jesus did. And he was God. And then you keep moving in Luke and you get to the feeding of the 5,000, which is a very famous story where Jesus takes a little kid's lunchbox and turns a, a meal for one into a meal for thousands of people. It's crazy. And what does he do right before he distributes the food? He blesses it. He prays to God. What does he do after the feeding of the 5,000? What do you see him doing? You find him praying. Before Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer, which we studied last week, it's a very famous passage of the Bible, a good amount of people in this room have the Lord's Prayer memorized. What does Jesus do before he teaches his disciples the Lord's Prayer? He, he prays. Listen to what it says. Luke chapter 11. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. This is pretty interesting. Here's why this is interesting. Don't miss it. The, the people that are asking Jesus to teach them how to pray, they are Jews. Prayer was a major part of being a Jew. Like kids were raised learning and knowing how to pray. Like prayer was a part of different festivities. It, it was a key mark in the nation of Israel. And yet these people who had grown up saying prayers, they see Jesus pray and they're like, yeah, I don't know how to pray like that. Jesus, would you teach me how to pray? Would you just act like I don't know anything and would you take me to school and would you teach me because if that's what real prayer is, teach me to pray. And Jesus says, okay, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus, if you read the book of Luke, there's this big chunk in the book of Luke where Jesus teaches in parables. A parable was like a story that was hard to understand. We're actually starting a series on parables this Sunday morning here at Watermark. And I'd encourage you to come and join us on on Sundays. But Jesus devotes an entire parable to the topic of prayer. And then you get to the night that Jesus is arrested. Like that's the climax of his ministry where Jesus is arrested, he dies, he's buried, and he rises from the dead. Like that's why we're here. If you're not a Christian and you're like, what are all these people doing here? Like this is just a, like do y'all just do this one time? No, we do this every Tuesday night. Why? Because we're not just trying to be better people. Our story is that we were spiritually dead people and we've been made alive. Like we believe that we have life with God because Jesus did something very significant. He lived the life that we couldn't live. He died the death that we all deserve to die because no one on the planet has lived a perfect life that God requires. Jesus lived a perfect life in our place. He was buried and then he rose from the dead as a display that his sacrifice was enough 
so that we could be made right with God. Right before Jesus went to the cross to die, he was first arrested. And right before he's arrested, what do we find Jesus doing? He's praying. Here's what it says in Luke 22. When he came to the place, he said to to them, his friends, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I'm so thankful Jesus prayed that prayer where he just, that is such a powerful prayer where he just says, not my will, your will be done. Father, you sent me to take away the sins of the world. You sent me to take away the sins of the people that would gather at the porch on this night in May. Your will be done. And then just a few verses later in verse 44, it says, in, in being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his, his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. The God of the universe sweat blood as he prayed. And if you're here and you're like, Jesus is so irrelevant to my life. I just wonder if you find yourself in a moment where everything is hitting the fan. Like you're, parent has received a cancer diagnosis, maybe you've just lost your job, or you're frustrated because you got passed over for a promotion, maybe your parents are going through a divorce, maybe you're going through a breakup, and you would say that you feel like your life is miserable right now in agony. Yet Jesus has been in that place. You know what he did in that moment? He prayed. He prayed. Jesus prayed. And before Jesus took his last breath, as he hung on the cross, what's the last thing he did? Luke 23, verse 46 says, then Jesus calling out with a loud voice says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. The last words that came out of Jesus's mouth before he gave up his life in death was a prayer. His ministry started with prayer. His ministry culminated in prayer. Jesus prayed. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, you should pray because Jesus prayed. Martin Luther put it this way. I've shared this quote every night of the series. He said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. So why should you pray? If you're a Christian, one of the reasons you should pray is because Jesus prayed and we want to be like Jesus. The second reason you should pray is because prayer is how we get more of God. Like it's the the, the doorway to greater intimacy with God. If I were to sit down with you at coffee and I were to just say, are you content with your relationship with God? Like if there was more love from God to experience, would you want it? Would you want to experience greater amounts of grace, would you, would you like to see God's power in an even clearer way? Would you like to experience his nearness in an even more personal way? I think a good majority of people in here would say, of course, prayer is the way to get more of God. Listen to what, t- listen to what Jesus says right before he gives the Lord's prayer. This is so important. 
He says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. He says, and when you pray, notice the wording. He says, when you pray, not if you pray, Jesus assumes that we will pray. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you should pray. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. That, that word in the Greek, in old Greek, it used to refer to an actor who would wear a mask while performing. But when Jesus uses the word hypocrite, he's talking about people who view the world as their stage that they perform on to win people's approval and applause. He says, don't be like those people. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, which were both high traffic areas where a lot of people would see them. And he said, they do that, why? So that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. What's his point? His, his point is like, prayer doesn't exist for you to win other people's approval. Don't let your best prayers be done in public. Is it wrong to pray in public? Absolutely not. We've prayed tonight in public. That's not what this is about. But Jesus goes on, he says, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. Jesus is basically saying, do what I did. Jesus would minister to the crowds and then what would he do? He would withdraw to be with his father. He's saying, do the same thing. Like be around people. But then get alone with your father who sees in secret. You want to be seen by God the father. And listen to what he says. He says, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Did you hear that? There is actually a reward for praying. God will reward people who pray. Well, what's the reward? It's a good question to ask. I'd like to know what the reward is to know if it's worth doing it. What's the reward? God will give you more of himself. It's the kindest thing God could do to any person in this room right now is give you more of himself. Here's what I want you to understand, and I hope you don't miss this. So if you're tuned out, come back. Come back. God wants to give you more of himself. He delights to give you more of himself. But God might wait to give you more of himself until you are willing to withdraw to be with him. Why? Because he loves you. Some of us are frustrated and we feel spiritually dry. We feel disconnected with God. We feel bored with God. Why? Because we, we want to connect. We try and connect with God while we're connecting with the rest of the world. So we're driving to work, and while we're driving, we're also texting or checking Instagram. It's like, okay, well, well God, I, I'm going to listen to the Bible app and and I trust that you're going to speak to me while all these other people are also speaking to me and I'm also driving and I've got these two to three minutes, so, but God didn't show up. So I don't know why God's not showing up because I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I listen to the Bible app while I'm driving and checking Instagram and texting and I don't know what God's problem is, but I just feel dry and disconnected and I wonder if God's like, I love you too much to give you all of myself when you're not ready to listen. And so God in his kindness might wait for you to withdraw, for him to give you more of himself. Prayer is how we get more of God. 
That's why you should pray. Why should you pray? Because Jesus prayed and because prayer is how you get more of God. So let's answer the second question. How should I pray? How should I pray? Here's what I want to do. I, I want to just walk you through seven different ways that you can pray. I'm going to get very practical. I don't want anyone leaving here tonight saying, that's great that I should pray, but I have no clue how to pray. Okay, this is me being John saying, okay, you're going to hold the racket. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. It, this is what you do. Let me just walk you through seven different practices. And the reason I call them practices is because they take practice. And I'm not inviting you to do all seven, just inviting you to take a step, like to try one. So here they are. Number one, one way that you can pray is, is by using the Lord's Prayer as a framework. Many of you already have it memorized. I'm not just talking about repeating the Lord's Prayer. I'm talking about using it as a framework. So I'll I wrote a prayer. I'll, I'll put it on the screen. It could look like this. Our Father in heaven, God, thank you that you are my Father, which makes me your child. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for my sins and rose from the dead to bring me into the family of God. And you are my Father in heaven, meaning you're a perfect Father. Hallowed be your name. God, you are holy, holy, holy. There is, there's no one like you. Your kingdom come, your will be done. God, would you rule and reign in my life today? You're in charge. Your way is the best way. You lead and I will follow. And you can just work your way through the Lord's Prayer. Use it as a, use it as a framework. Second prayer practice is, is to just use the, the ACTS acronym. ACTS. The A stands for Adoration. It's just the idea of praising God for who he is. God, praise you that you are good. God, praise you that you are sovereign. You are in control today and every day. The C stands for confession. Confession is just you acknowledging before God the ways that you have resisted his ways. God, I just want to confess, I want to ask your forgiveness that I continually escape to fantasy worlds, which I know is not honoring and pleasing to you. Would you forgive me for that? God, I just want to confess that I've been leading different girls on. I've been leading different guys on. Why? To deal with some of the insecurities in my heart that only you can deal with. Would you forgive me for that, Lord God? God, I just want to ask your forgiveness. I've just been cashing it in at work. Like I... I have been barely working. I've just been doing enough to get by instead of working in a way that would be honoring and pleasing to you. Would you forgive me for that? That's the C, confession. The T stands for thanksgiving. God, thank you for a great workout this morning. God, thank you that I had a great lunch with that person that I ate with. God, thank you for your grace in my life, that your mercies are new every morning, that you still haven't given up on me. The S stands for supplication. It is just the idea of asking God to move. God, would you give me an opportunity today to share the gospel with a coworker? God, give me the courage to invite someone to the porch. God, I pray that today you would bring healing in my parents' marriage. I just want to believe, God, that even when it's over, it's not over, and you can heal and restore. Would you move, God? 
And you don't have to pray them all in order and you don't have to pray all four all at once. You can just pray. You can just have a time of adoration when you're driving to work in the morning or time of confession, but use the ACTS acronym to kind of direct you on the right path. The third practice is to, is to pray scripture. This is, this is the most common thing that I do on most days of the week is that when I, when I talk about praying scripture, all I'm talking about doing is reading scripture and turning it into prayers. Let's do it together right now. If you have a Bible, open up to Psalm 34. So this is what I do most days of the week, is I will read something, I will see what sticks out to me, and then I will take those verses and I will turn them into prayers. Psalm 34 is a passage that I spend almost a month in. I just read the same chapter every day, and then I would journal and pray through one verse, but it could look like this. Psalm 34, verse one says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. God, today has been a very tough day, and yet I will choose to bless you at all times. Your praise, I want your praise to be on my mouth today. Even on the toughest days, you are still good. You are still worthy of praise. So I just say, bless you, God. Bless your holy name. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. That's verse two. God, I don't want my hope in life to be in my abilities. I don't want it to be in my circumstances. God, I boast in you that you are sovereign, that you are in control, that your ways are good, that you have my best in mind, that your will for my life is good, pleasing, and perfect. So I make you my boast. Skip down to verse four. David says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. God, today I'm dealing with fear. Like I don't know what's going on with my son today. I don't know how things are gonna go there. God, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with some fear about some various things that are happening at work, but you hear me and I'm gonna seek you and I'm gonna trust that you hear me and you are going to respond in your timing and in your own perfect way. Verse five. Those who look to him, to God, are radiant. God, I feel down today. I feel down. I, I feel like I'm trending towards anxiety and depression. And yet your word says that when, when I look to you, you can make me radiant. I, I can tell that my countenance shows the world that I am weighed down, that my life feels heavy. People are even asking me, hey, dude, are you Okay. So God, I look to you. I put my trust in you. You are my hope today. Would you transform my countenance? May I be radiant to the world. May my, would you relieve me from the weight that I bear? I trust you. See, that's what it looks like. You just, you pray the scripture. You take scripture and you turn it into prayers. This is one of the best ways to live in God's will. So many young adults are like, I don't know, what's God's will for my life? Well, this will tell you 98% of God's will for your life. Just read it and pray it and you will be in God's will. Like if you want to pray God's will, read this and turn it into prayers. If you want to see God answer prayers, Pray the scriptures. Why can I say that with confidence? Well, Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Notice Jesus didn't just say, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's a genie. 
That's not Jesus, that's a genie. Jesus says, if you abide in me, in my words, abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Because when you pray these words, you know what you're doing? You are praying God's heart. He loves to answer prayers that are aligned with his heart. The fourth practice is, some of y'all are familiar with, it's called Lectio Divina, which means divine reading. So if, if the third prayer practice, which was praying scripture, the, the difference between the third practice and the fourth practice is this. The third practice is about um, talking to God about scripture, and the fourth practice is about God talking to you about Scripture. Do you see the difference? One is about you talking to God about Scripture, and the other is God talking to you about Scripture. And I love this practice, and, and it looks different for different people, but here's what I'm really talking about. I'm talking about reading a passage of Scripture and then just choosing like one verse or less than one verse. Like you take one verse, and what you do is you just set a timer for maybe two minutes and just sit quietly. You're not praying. You are just sitting quietly, focusing on the presence of God, that God is with you and he wants to speak to you. And then after that timer goes off, what you do is you take that verse and you read that one verse a few times. And then after you read that verse a few times, maybe you write down what, you, what, what is kind of hitting your heart what's speaking to you, what it seems like God is speaking to you, just as you read it and you write stuff down. And then what you do is you can set another timer for two, three, four, five minutes, and you just sit and you ask God to speak to you and just say, God, what do you want to tell me about this verse? And just let him speak to you. We did this as a family. Like my wife and I hopped on Zoom with all of my wife's family. Like she's got three other siblings and their spouses, my in-laws. Like we all got on Zoom together and we did this practice together. So we took Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. So here's what we did together. You can do this with your roommates. You can do this with people in other states. We set a timer for two minutes and we just said, we're just going to sit quietly and just focus on God's presence. We just want to, we want our worlds to kind of, everything we're stressed about to kind of fade away. We're just going to focus on God being here with us. After that timer went off, we said, okay, we're going to take the first phrase, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Okay, two minutes. Just sit with the Lord. Ask him, God, what do you want to say to me about trusting in you with all of my heart? We did that for two minutes. If, if something came to mind, we'd write it down. Timer went off. We set another timer. Okay? Do not lean on your own understanding. Okay, God, what do you want to say to me about not leaning on my own understanding? So we'd just sit quietly for two minutes. Timer went off. Okay, God, speak to me. What do you want me to know about acknowledging you in all my ways? Timer went off. Two more minutes. And he will make your path straight. God, speak to me. And so we did that through Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And then we just opened it up and we just began to share what the Lord spoke to us through his word. And it was really powerful and it was really encouraging. Okay, the fifth 
prayer practice. It's a great one to do like on your drive home from work or when you get into bed in, at night and, and just you're kind of powering down for the day. It's called the examine prayer. And there's different ways to do this, but the way that I really like it has a few steps. And here are the steps. Okay, the, the first step is that you just sit, you just sit for two, three minutes. You set a timer. For two to three minutes, you just sit quietly. You're not praying, you're just focusing on the presence of God. And then what you do is you walk through your day with God. And you just ask God to reveal to you all the things that you should be thankful for. So anything that God deserves credit for, you should thank him for it. So God, thank you that it was 75 degrees this morning on my run. It will not be that way like tomorrow. God, thank you that I had a great breakfast meeting today. Thank you that this meeting at work went a lot better than I thought it was going to go. You walk through your day and you just express gratitude for all the things that God deserves credit for. Then, this is key. You ask God to reveal to you key moments from your day. I heard another pastor describe it as kind of like the light bulb moments. Like if there was a power surge to a light bulb, kind of that, you know, where it just kind of lights up. Like what is the one or two moments of the day? Maybe it was just, maybe it was a moment where you experienced this sudden blast of joy or happiness. Maybe it was, it was an overwhelming sense of temptation or lust or where you gave in to sin. You ask God to reveal whatever those light bulb moments are to you. And then this is the secret sauce. You ask Jesus, did you ever experience this? Or Jesus, what do you want to say to me about this? Let me give you an example from my own life of how this worked. This is my favorite experience I've had with the exam in prayer, okay? I've got three boys. I've talked about them a lot. And when we lived in College Station, my oldest son went through this season where he tried to scare me every single day day without fail. Like truly, every night he would go lurking somewhere and he would jump out and try and scare me. So I was home alone one day and I heard the garage door open, which meant that Cat and my three boys were coming home. I was like, okay, well, this is my chance to scare my oldest child. And so I'm a really great dad. Anyway, I went, if you are in the place where the door to the garage is, if you were to walk forward 10 feet there was a wall, and so I hid right behind the wall. And unfortunately, my oldest came in and went left, but I was still committed. So my middle child, he came in right as he walked past me. I was like, ah! And it was amazing. <laughs> because instead of getting freaked out, my 11-year-old just like, melted on the ground laughing. Like he literally, he fell over laughing. And here's why that was so important. It's because, because this child has an uphill battle in life and uh, he takes different medication which, which can sometimes not make him feel good. His life can feel really heavy. It can be sedating even. And when he was collapsing on the ground with his face just lit up, it's not something that I see from him very often. And I saw just this lightness and this freedom in his countenance. 
and I couldn't get over it because I saw joy in him. So I went to Jesus and I said, Jesus, have you ever experienced this? And I felt like Jesus was saying, that's what I experienced any time I healed someone. Like when I made the paralyzed walk or the blind man see or the deaf hear, the joy that they experienced, the freedom that they experienced, Jesus, I felt like my heart was connecting to Jesus in that moment. It was like, yes, he, he gets me and the, the, the experience he gave me with my son in that moment, it was, it was Jesus drawing me into greater intimacy with him. So try it out. And I promise you, there will be some sweetness to it. The sixth prayer practice is what I would just call ask and listen prayer. Just ask and listen. Good friend and mentor of mine, it's a man named, he's a man named Doug Sherman. And his whole life has been devoted to helping people around the world experience a conversational relationship with God where you just converse with God throughout the day. Like he takes 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 very seriously when Paul says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Like pray always. And so Doug has been so great about just saying, what would it look like all throughout the day to just ask God questions and then listen for his response in the form of him bringing a verse to mind or maybe giving you an impression on your heart or your mind. So just imagine going through your day and asking questions like this. Like even just asking one of these questions would take your prayer life to a whole new level. Like before you start your car, this is something that, that Doug said, like before you push the start engine button or you turn the key, what if you just paused and asked God, who do you want me to pray for right now? And just see who he brings to mind. And if he brings someone to mind, pray for him. And then text him, shoot him a text saying, hey, I just prayed for you. God brought you to mind. They will be encouraged and you will be encouraged. Or what about this? Imagine this, on your way home tonight, when you were driving home, Talk to God and say, God, what are you trying to show me right now? What if we began to believe that God is always putting his goodness and greatness on display? It's just a question of if we have eyes to see it. So just ask him as you're driving, God, what are you wanting me to see right now? And just see what he shows you. If you want to transform your meetings during the day, then before you go into any meeting, Set a timer to go off five minutes before that meeting where you ask God this question, God, what attitude do you want me to have right now? Or this, how do you want me to respond in this situation? Or God, is there anything I need to confess right now? I used this last week. One of my, my oldest son, Noah, came home and just told me that a kid was bullying him. And I talked about it last week uh, when he was younger. But this is now, he's 13, this guy was bullying him. And if you want to see me kind of gear up about something, just come after my kids, all right? And so here's the deal. <laughs> what I've learned about myself is I can snap into like junior high mode when if my son is getting bullied, my automatic reflex is to just come up with comebacks. So before my son got braces, this was not last week, but before Noah got braces, he was worried that a kid at school with braces is, was going to come after him and be like, hey, you don't look good in braces. And so my mind was like, here's your comeback. If a kid with braces looks at you and says, 
You don't look good with braces. Say, yeah, we're just two ugly dudes with braces. Like, that's what you tell that guy. That'll shut him up. Like, that's how my mind works. So last week, this kid was bullying my son. And so I just started coming up with these comebacks. And then I went for a run. And as I'm running, I'm like, God, how would you have me encourage Noah? And I think the Lord was like, not that way. (laughs) And the Lord in that moment, he just reminded me of what Jesus did when he was being ridiculed and when he was being harassed and mocked. Matthew 26, 63 says, but Jesus remained silent. And so I went home and I said, Noah, I gave you really bad advice. And as I was on my run and talking to God about it, I just felt like he wanted me to show you what Jesus did. Jesus remained silent. That doesn't mean that Noah should remain silent in every situation, but in this particular situation, the best thing to do was to suck the oxygen out of the room for the guy who was bullying him. Just remain silent. And it was God's kindness that he spoke to me through that kind of ask and listen prayer method. And then the final final prayer practice is what's called Chair Time, which is a book that I read. I'm not necessarily encouraging you to go to read it. It's 35 pages long, so I'm just going to summarize it for you in 15 seconds. Chair Time is just the idea of you just find a chair, and you sit in that chair every day for 30 days for 15 minutes, and you just listen. You're not praying. You're just sitting and giving God the space to speak. And so I did that, summer 21 just decided for 30 days, I'm gonna sit for 15 minutes and just listen. And in a lot of ways, it transformed my life because God began to speak and he would bring his word to mind, he would bring people to mind that he wanted me to pray for, he would show me what he wanted me to do in ministry. But one of the most powerful things that I learned during that time is one day I was sitting for 15 minutes and when I got to about the 14 minute and 30 second mark, I hadn't gotten anything from the Lord. And then it was like the Lord chimed in and was like, hey, why do, you, why do you need me to say anything? Why can't we just sit here and enjoy one another? And what God was doing is he was reminding me that I have this insecurity about being with someone and no one talking. Like I get super awkward. That's why I don't like to ride in the car with people to lunch because I'm like, what if we don't have anything to talk about? So I'll just meet you there. Like my wife, when we go on a date night, I bring conversation cards that I bought online because I'm like, we're not going to run out of conversation. And you're like, man, you sound like a lot of fun to be married to. (laughs) And I think God was like, why do you need that? Like the people that you love the most, you should just be able to enjoy them. Just enjoy being with them. And he brought to mind Psalm 1611, which says, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. It doesn't say, in my presence, when I'm talking to you. It just says, in my presence, there's fullness of joy. So I would just say this. If at any time you're praying and there's no joy in it, I don't know that God's in it. Because in his presence, there's fullness of joy. There's seven prayer practices. And you might be like, man, that's overwhelming. Now, I'm not telling you to go all do, se- do all seven. I'm just saying, just take a step. And then let me just give you a few things to experiment with. I'm just going to throw some things at you. Again, I want you to leave knowing exactly what you can do. 
Like, try this. I remember one time I was driving from Wichita Falls to Dallas. It's about two hours. And I just said, I'm going to try and pray the whole time. That was, a, that was a big lift for me to try and do that. But I was so surprised at how God just continued to give me fuel for the fire of prayer. It was really encouraging and enjoyable. If you've been praying a lot in life, then try and pray for a whole half day. Just spend the whole morning in prayer with God. Try going for prayer walks. Like, this is something that has brought me a lot of joy, to just go for walks, long walks, and just walk and talk with God. Try praying on your knees. Try praying out loud. Try journaling your prayers. Let me just show you something real quick. I will, I, I've been experimenting with, with journaling, and so something recently I did was I downloaded an app called, called Day One. And uh, so it's... So what I have on the side is I have all these different categories of people that I want to pray for. So there's my kids, there's my wife, there's praying for the porch, praying for watermark, personal prayer. Clearly, I pray for myself a lot more than anyone else, so that's problematic and needs to be addressed. (laughs) I got my listening prayer when I just sit and listen to God, things I'm grateful for. Um, But like one of my son's, I, he just needs a lot of prayer right now. So I'll just show you this. Like I will sit in his room at night and I'll journal prayers. And then the cool thing is I can take a picture of me praying. <laughs> that, that, that isn't creepy at all. But uh, the, <laughs> the, <laughs> the reason that I love that app Uh, the reason I love that app is that like next year, and I'm, I'm just a couple months into using this app, but next year, like it will show me what I was praying on this day last year. So I can just see like, what was I praying for a year ago? And in two years, I'll be able to say, what was I praying for two years ago? And it'll just be fun to see. Um, pray for different things on different days. You don't have to pray for everything on every day. So just know all those categories, I don't pray for all of them every day. Sometimes I don't pray for any of them on a day. Sometimes I pray for one of them. Sometimes I pray for four of them. Just depends. Fast and pray. Fast from food and pray. That might bring urgency to your prayers. Fast from social media and pray. If you're like, I don't have any time to pray, do you have time to look at social media? Too convicting. Let's go. (laughs) One thing I've done is I've set an alarm to remind me to pray. So set an alarm on your watch to go off every 30 minutes. When it goes off, just stop. If you're able to, get on your knees and say a quick prayer. Get a prayer board. Like we got a dry erase board when we were in College Station. Everyone in our family wanted to use the same shower. Not at the same time, but we all used the same shower at different times. I don't know why I said that. But anyway, (laughs) the the shower... (laughs) The shower had a glass wall to it, and so I put a dry erase board just right outside that glass wall because the shower is a good time to pray, and people in the family could look at what they can be praying for. And then a friend of mine, Greg Mott, he put a sleeping bag in front of his closet when he was in college, and I know you're not in college, but one thing you could do is put a sleeping bag in front of your closet because what Greg said is, I'm either going to step over God to start my day or I'm going to kneel down with God to start my day. And so as he, before he would get dressed, he would just kneel down to be with the Lord. And he made a rule, before I eat physically, I'm going to eat spiritually. So it just might be something 
to try. All I'm encouraging you to do is to take a step. I'll just finish by saying this. There's an invitation on the table for everyone in the room tonight. It's an invitation to intimacy. It's an invitation to intimacy. So if you're here tonight and you don't have a relationship with God, you need to understand that the reason that Jesus Christ left heaven and came to earth, the reason that he went to a cross, was buried in a tomb and rose from the dead, the reason he did that was to bring us into a right, real enjoyable and intimate relationship with God. That's on the table for you tonight. If you don't know Jesus, if you want a real relationship with God, if you want an enjoyable and intimate relationship with God, it only comes through knowing Jesus Christ. Maybe your first prayer tonight is, Jesus, I believe in you. I give my life to you. And then if you already know Jesus, would you just believe that it's not about God wanting something from you. It's really about God wanting something with you. He doesn't want more from you as much as he wants more with you. And prayer is how we get more of God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray and I thank you that you have come that you have died, that you have risen, and you did all of that to bring us into relationship with God so that we can pray, so we can talk to you, and you'll hear us, and we can hear from you as we study your word, and we pray. Lord, my hope and prayer for every young adult in the room tonight is that they would just take a step, that they wouldn't leave here feeling overwhelmed. But even if it's just leaving just with with one thing that they might try, I pray that there would be more joy that is experienced by the people in this room this week because of what you're doing in our hearts tonight. We need you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.